Rugby is a brutal and violent sport and women should not relish its physical challenge. If you, like me, are tired of hearing such stereotypes, you will thoroughly appreciate how Flo Williams has broken this myth. In this three-part episode, Flo shares in part one how she progressed from school rugby to playing for the Welsh national team, despite the many challenges she faced. In part two, we discuss the difference in privilege between the male game and the female game. And in part three, you'll hear about how Flo is breaking the wheel of power and privilege in the sport of rugby and what you can do to help balance the scales. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by belonging pioneers and Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our DEI goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and we explore new possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose. This is where we explore and test out ideas with amazing guests like Flo, who have done or are doing the work. If you are interested in balancing the scales, please do join us in taking the Privilege Conundrum Research Survey. It'll help us to build the body of knowledge around what impact privilege is having in the workplace and what we can do to move beyond that to balance the scales. Now, let me tell you about Flo. Flo Williams is a Welsh international, with her international cap meaning a lot to her and her family, with her father being born in Merthyr Tydfil. Having started playing rugby as a junior in Aylesford, Williams progressed through and played for their first team before playing for Loughborough Lightning in the first season of the Premier 15s. Whilst at Wasps, Williams cemented herself as one of the best kickers in the league. Williams works as a women's sports lead for sports marketing agency Matt where she helped create the recent brand identity for the Red Roses, as well as the new brand identity for Premiership Women's Rugby. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realise a culture of inclusion for all. So hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm delighted that we have Flo Williams as my guest here on the podcast. And we're looking at the conversation of breaking the wheel of power and privilege in sport. So Flo is not only the daughter of a very good friend of mine, and I start with that, uh, she is an amazing woman. She's advocating for breaking the wheel of power and privilege in sport. And she's also working to promote underrepresented groups through her PR firm where she works. And um, the most interesting thing about Flo that I didn't know until Roger told me is that she plays rugby. And she plays rugby for Saracens, which is an amazing rugby club. And she also plays number 10 for Wales. So Flo, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast with me. I'm delighted 
um, to have this conversation with you. I'm very conscious that gender plays such a big role in sport. Um, you know, I just assumed everyone would be so excited that England made it to the finals of the World Cup in football and just assumed my whole family, especially the men who are just football mad, would be like, yeah, we're going to watch it because we're in the final. And they were just lukewarm about it. They were like, yeah, and it's not the same game. And I'm like, no, it is. A, it is Whether it's the same game or not, if England made it to the finals in any sport with men, you would be there watching it. So how come you're not there watching this? And that's what made me really want to talk about this with you on the podcast. Yeah, I think it's that um, unfortunate story that even, even when female athletes do reach the pinnacle of their sport it's still they're seen as women first it's that the elephant in the room becomes more relevant that actually we're seen as sort of guests in the house of sport rather than just great athletes and people are quick to judge on gender or um, beliefs or sexuality or race before they're quick to judge on ability and I think if someone's watching the game and they say oh that was a bad tackle or a poor pass or a a poor skill execution I'm absolutely fine with that like that's how you critique sport and we would expect that in men's sport equally as well but when it's suddenly so much about oh I'm not going to watch and the the only reason that you can you can see that they're not going to watch is because they're women suddenly I'm like that's a wider societal issue that not only athletes have to like carry the strain of like playing for your country or playing at a high level, but you also have to then represent an entire gender and like societal issue as well. Yeah, that's not on really, is it? No, it's not great. <laughs> so, you know, we're we're looking at breaking the wheel of power and privilege. And I'd love to explore with you what that looks like in real life, like on the ground for you. Um, I think um playing a sport and, and most sports are sort of male dominated. Um, it's just a consideration and the time and the energy that you spend doing so much more that's outside of just performing in your sport. Um, so you're having to balance careers um, and family life and trying to get the bare minimum in terms of kit or facility or respect. You're not just running out and being praised for being a rugby player. You're having to fight all of these other battles as well. And I often say the people who make it to the top of their game in in rugby and football are not necessarily the best rugby players or footballers. Um, It's the people who can jump the most hurdles and overcome the most barriers and have the most resilience towards being in an atmosphere that doesn't necessarily celebrate them so much, Um, which is such a shame because you have so many naturally talented athletes. but by the time you get to 14 or 15 and you're playing sport in a club that tells you you have to play on the on the back pitch and you're forever being a recruitment officer as well as a player because you're trying to get more people to come because they don't put it on in schools or you're wearing kit that doesn't quite fit you in the way that you'd like to fit or people go watch your male counterparts but then they don't go watch your team play. At some point you go, you know what, I actually, why, why am I spending my time doing this? Um, like you really, really have to love it. Um, and I think 
it's all of these other things that female athletes have to deal with outside of just turning up and having fun and playing their sport and being celebrated for it and even as young as the age of nine or ten the girls are being told oh you're not in the under 10s you're in the girls section and it's always you're seen as like other it's the the boys team is the default and you're other um and I think that's something that you end it like stays with them for a long time and it's your first experience that's really tough isn't it so how does that impact somebody who keeps going that early experience how does that impact somebody who manages to jump through those hoops and keeps going how does that impact you well I think there's um there are so many female athletes who become activists and role models and sometimes it's assumed which is also like some people just want to be athletes um, and it shouldn't be assumed that you then can talk about equality in sport and equal rights and that you do become this sort of voice um, for everyone in your gender which is also which is tough to carry but if you have overcome all of these hurdles to get to the elite level of your game often you're you're quite strong-willed against it and you're able to talk about it so it kind of breeds these like mini activists and role models within the sport because you would have experienced so much sort of prejudice against you and you would have to sort of deal with the fact that the same person playing at the same level as you, as you is getting paid a full-time wage and you're not and you have to balance so many other things etc um so it's it, it's breeding this lived experience that you kind of want to change it um and there's so many people who are playing at the highest level now who are actively working to change the opportunities for younger people in their sport which in itself is like a, a burden on athletes because they when they should just be considering one thing they don't, they don't have to do all of that but because you've experienced so much of it it's really tough to see it carry on seeing that cycle carry on and then not do anything about it yeah no I get that do you know what you're kind of as you speak you're kind of reminding me of women who entered the corporate world in the 70s and had to really fight in order to progress yeah and all those barriers and then, and then, you know, they're, they're kind of the generation before me. They're what were called baby boomers. Mm-hmm. And they're just seen as really tough women and women who are like men. And, you know, um, and they just got a bad reputation. Uh, you know, they just got a bad name, like people to avoid. Yeah. And it's it's tough because I think the more you call things out in sport, especially that, um that have led to this sort of like inequality and things that aren't aren't fair really you get labeled as like oh always complaining and it's kind of, and it is if, even when you are trying to battle these things sometimes I even feel like god like this is hard work like there's always something that's frustrating and sometimes it is like um I'm not no draining to, to be like continuously like fighting this and fighting that like why can't we just be celebrating but equally like it's hard when there's not loads to celebrate and we are having seeing like great strides in the elite level of sport and it's on tv and people are getting paid more and like the respect is increasing but you sort of get in that bubble and you think oh everything is great and then you go and speak to some girls playing grassroots rugby at a local rugby club and 
and they're saying, oh, yeah, we're not allowed in the changing rooms. Or, But when we play our games, the kitchen staff go home so we don't actually get fed after our games. And you're just like, how is this still happening? Like, that's what I was experiencing 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and it's still it's still happening and it's like it's not it's obviously not reflective of how the the elite level of the game has increased and it ends up breeding like these yeah as you say these really tough women who kind of get labeled as bossy or like you're always complaining you're never happy you're looking for the negative but it's kind of like you have to point out how bad it is and you have to say it very loudly because a people who were not promoting an equal environment need to need to be embarrassed to be honest they need to be called out and the people who experience it need to know that this isn't normal and you shouldn't be okay with being treated like this yeah um and that's what's that's why I think we continue to try and promote change yeah no it's it's essential I mean um I I was surprised when I came to watch you play and there was like one stand reserved and the other three stands were clear. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, how is that? And well, so- it's, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's a fantastic venue to come and watch women's sport. And it's great that Saracens have had the, the women playing at the main stadium for um, nearly eight or nine years, like a really long time. So like they've never sort of had them on a, a, a side pitch. Like it's always been the main event. But unfortunately, like the perception of women playing rugby or playing sport yeah. is still quite low even yeah. though you can take your entire family out and go to a, a stadium and watch elite level sport for what like five or six pounds each like you'd think that's it should be packed out every week but people still just don't see that as a a, a good use of their disposable time on a weekend um which is is such a shame because it's so inspiring for for so many people to be able to go and watch it's amazing to watch there's, there's a job to do inside of the sports structure but there's also a job to do with the fans yeah it's it, well yeah it's a it's a, it's definitely a societal perception um that i mean i even get asked when you say you play rugby they're like oh full contact or do is i didn't realize women play rugby or like what did you do with your boobs or something and you're like what are these questions like it's it's crazy like I, I don't quite get it but I realize that I live even though where I am in my sport I'm in like a lack of privilege being a woman in the sport but I myself am privileged within my circle that I'm surrounded by people who celebrate women in sport so I don't necessarily I don't see it as a negative thing I see it as a great thing like I think it's brilliant that I've had the opportunity to play sport my whole life and managed to play to quite a high level but when you step outside of that, and not, not other women have been told, don't be a don't be a boy, like do feminine things. Like even yesterday, um, an interview from the captain of the men's Portugal rugby team, they asked him, Would you let your daughter play rugby? And he was like, No, because it you it damages your body. And I'm like, even that's someone who plays the sport, and even he can't say that he would want his own daughter to play. Um, so it's you're still battling against all of these. Yeah, prejudice and, and ideas that women shouldn't do sport and they definitely shouldn't be doing a really masculine and physical sport like rugby so disappointing Flo do you know what I think would be great I'd love to know your story so you had 
you would have had to deal with these challenges. So, you know, how did you get into rugby and how did you progress and how do you end up where you are now? Like that, I think that would be really interesting for our audience. Um, well, luckily for me, um, my parents both allowed me to and wanted me to do as much sport and activity as possible. And I think they got to a point after introducing me that it was trying to stop me to do as much as I could because I wanted to do loads. And with my dad being Welsh, it was kind of like the law that rugby was always going to be the main one in the house, which was absolutely fine by me. Um, but I went down to um, my local rugby club and I was the only girl playing in the team for three or four years. And obviously as like an eight or nine year old wow. girl, a lot of girls might not feel comfortable in that atmosphere, but I kind of was like, oh, I'm the only one. Like it for me, it was quite it was seen as a positive thing, but you can see how that would not be seen as a positive thing for, for other young girls, especially as you get a bit older as well. Um, and then, you, um, sorry to interrupt you, it reminds uh, me of I did engineering. Oh, yeah, I've been the only, been yeah, the only yeah. one of the yeah. only girls in the room. You get, you get treated differently, right? Yeah, and I, I was lucky because I got treated differently, but it was in like a great way like they all celebrated me and stuff so I was very lucky um in that respect that I had like great allies around me even at that age um but then when I moved into the girls team as I got a bit older we were sort of I went from a team that would have like 20 30 players at training all the time it was a great environment for me to get better better to a team that struggled to fill out 15 players for a team and the, the training quality like actually did go down because there was less people there because there were less girls who wanted to play rugby so immediately instead of just if I'd if I was a boy I would have just gone through the age groups I would have played rugby in school all of my friends would have played it would have been celebrated um being a rugby player is quite a cool like macho thing to do as a boy as a girl it was kind of like oh you're that rugby girl like I went to an all-girls school no one played rugby in my school barely anyone really played sport to be honest there was maybe a couple of footballers but I'm not joking when I say I could name it on on one hand how many people I knew in my school that played sport so it was kind of like I was trying to already like balance these two lives that didn't really complement each other um and it wasn't necessarily seen as a positive thing that I was playing sport and that could have been a time that I would have dropped out because you're struggling to get numbers at training, you're going to school and it's, oh, I can't meet up this weekend because I've got a rugby game or uh, oh, I can't do this time for homework because I'm going to go to training or I want to do extra stuff um, in PE or um, extra gym or whatever and they don't allow for that. Um, whereas other schools for boys would have like rugby programmes within it. So you already are trying to like standing out from the group, which is is tough for a lot of people especially girls growing up when they want to cut everyone's comes to fit in um i'm guessing pe and gym must have been quite dull for you because probably a lot of the work that was being done was a bit pedestrian for your level yeah um, yeah i'm not gonna lie like when i was playing pe at school well, there were so many times where i'd be sent off the court or the pitch or whatever it was because i was too rough or it'd be like oh no you can't do this and if I wanted to compete in multiple events on sports day they were like no you can't and obviously everyone on my team would would want me to because I'm one of the more athletic people Um, and I don't mean that in a big-headed way but when people are 
throwing the javelin and we're talking like minus numbers, then it's kind of easy stuck in get it in the ground, you know. Um it was it was just uh instead of an opportunity for me to thrive, it was kind of like let everybody else have a go. This isn't academic, this is just participation. Whereas for me it was about being the best and it's not always seen as that. Mm. So you got through school. How did you how did your rugby work outside of school then? How did you manage to progress to where you are now? Well, um luckily my parents drove me everywhere under the sun um for whatever I needed to be at. And uh, they really enjoyed watching me play um and supporting that. And I was very lucky in that sense that because girls rugby was is sparse it's not just go to a local club and that's kind of everything that you'll need within like a few mile radius because there are less clubs in the area you're traveling further for games so there'd be a lot of girls who even though going to a local rugby club is more accessible than having to be part of an academy or something to progress you still have to be able to travel so in that sense I had privilege within an underprivileged group because I was able to go to all of um, the games I needed to go to or trials or whatever it was. Um, so being able to do that alongside school definitely meant that I didn't probably socialise as much as other people who were like 16, 17 um, at the time because I was spending more time doing rugby. But for me, rugby was my social group as well. Um, so I just started balancing those two aspects of my life. And even now when I'm, I have a career and I have rugby, it's still you're balancing stuff um which is challenging but equally rewarding at the same time if you get the the best out of both of it and after school I went to um Loughborough University which I think it was the possibly the first time the balancing became quite complementary because Loughborough obviously is an educational facility but it's massively into its sport so it was the first time I was somewhere where they wanted you to succeed in your career, but also in sport. Um, and it was beneficial yeah. for sport to be part of that. So that as an experience definitely drove me forward into more of an elite space because you're surrounded by ridiculously talented athletes all the time. But then you're also driven to do really well academically as well. Yeah, brilliant. And how did you get from university to playing at the level you're playing at now? So how did you get... How did you get spotted? How did you get into it? I think what's more accessible with with women's sport, because in a a sort of weirdly ironic way, men's rugby, to do well, you have to be playing at at club level, then be sort of seen by scouts potentially going – I'm playing rugby at a school that has a rugby um, program and might have associations with academies or premiership clubs. And those schools are more often than not private schools or they're fee-paying school in some in some way, shape or form. And once you go through um, that sort of rugby academy, you're almost living as a full-time rugby player when you're at schools from the age of like 15, 17, 18. You can go straight into an academy or professional elite setup and yeah. you're 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 far ahead of the pack who would have only played grassroots club rugby. Um, that obviously is a very expensive route um, and it's quite 
difficult to get there. It's not open to everybody. Um, it's often sort of middle up class um, groups are exposed to those environments. Whereas in women's rugby, it's sort of like you play at your local club and you might play county. Um, and none of this is like fee paying. It doesn't matter what school you go to because everyone does their rugby outside of school. Um, and as you play through the different age groups and the different representational levels, um, you can get invited to train with clubs who might be playing at a higher standard and you go along and train with them. You might get signed by a club there and yeah. it sort of progresses quite quite naturally. And it, there's not too many like, oh, this was the moment or this person spotted me. It's sort of like as you as you play through the age groups, you naturally get invited maybe to to the next level or to another um, to another team that are playing at a higher level. And I was playing premiership rugby from the age of 18. Luckily, there was a premiership club in my area. And then there was also um, a premiership club near Loughborough, Litchfield, where I was um, at university. And once you're sort of on the circuit at the elite level, um, you sort of just move between clubs depending on where you're living. Oh, lovely. And how did you get chosen to play for Wales? Uh, well, uh, being in camp for about two and a half years and training with them for about two and a half years, um, I finally got an opportunity a couple of years ago um, to represent Wales, which was obviously a, a massive uh, honour for me, having supported Wales my whole life. Dad being very proudly Welsh. Um, I did feel slightly um, awkward having this accent in a Welsh camp, but I definitely I have been sort of Wales through and through my whole life. and wanted to uh was, was very happy when I managed to finally tick that off. So I'm sure you'll have been inspired by Flo's story and how she got to be a Welsh international in the sport. Don't forget to join us for part two where Flo and I will be discussing the different challenges facing the men's and the women's rugby game and what has to change to level the playing field. I look forward to seeing you there. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organisation. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.